watchers in the fourth dimension. Logic, my dear Zoe, merely enables one to be wrong with authority. You seem to have survived their brainwashing techniques remarkably well. Hello and welcome to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And just you watch your lip or I'll put you across my knee and lair up you. <laughs> well, this episode, we have finally reached the last story of Season 5, where we see our intrepid heroes continue to do battle against all the standard tropes of the season, along with some Cybermen. Yep, it's the wheel in space. This story was originally pitched as a battle between both the Daleks and the Cybermen. Unfortunately, Terry Nation declined to give permission for that, and we would have to wait another 38 years before David Tennant got to face off against that combination. So it was back to the drawing board. The show's former scientific advisor, and I say former because I'm not entirely sure whether he was still on the books at this point or not, but former scientific advisor Kit Pedler did his usual thing of providing some vague ideas, presumably on the back of a napkin, for a serial called The Space Wheel, and then left to someone else to write the scripts. With his usual writing partner, who picked up that slack, Jerry Davis, no longer actively working on Doctor Who, the task of actually writing the scripts fell to everyone's favourite alchemist and the show's very first story editor, David Whittaker. And by the time he received the commission, the title had been changed to the much more familiar The Wheel in Space. Now, it was during scripting that Debbie Watling told producer Peter Bryant that she was planning to leave Doctor Who at the end of the previous serial, Fury from the Deep. And Bryant quickly tasked story editor Derek Sherwin with creating a new companion to replace her. Sherwin decided to contrast Victoria's Victorian-era values, try saying that three times quickly, with a companion from the future, who would be both an intellectual and scientific prodigy. Peter Ling, who was writing for a future serial, The Mind Robber, gave her the placeholder name of Zoe, and it stuck. And in casting her, the production team received more than 100 applicants, including that of a young actress by the name of Susan George, who was dating Fraser Hines at the time. Yes, Julie, he had the audacity to date someone who wasn't you back in 1968. <laughs> <laughs> However, the production team didn't let favouritism come into the decision, and the role eventually went to Wendy Padbury, who had been a regular on the soap opera Crossroads, and she had actually turned down a film role to take the part in Doctor Who. By the time it came to filming, a newer director by the name of Tristan Dever Cole was assigned to the story. He had previously been an uncredited production assistant on both the Dalek Invasion of Earth and the Gunfighters, and he very quickly got off on the wrong foot with Bryant, who believed that Devere Cole would frequently try to subvert the chain of command by communicating directly with Kit Pedler and Derek Sherwin. How dare he? And Bryant was also unhappy with the modifications to the script that the upstart director instigated, which included changing the names of some of the characters to give the wheel a more international feel. And as these feuds tend to, this all ended in tears when Bryant lodged a formal complaint about Devere Cole with the head of drama, Sean Sutton, claiming that his director had massively exceeded his budget. As costumer on this story, we once again have Martin Bohr, who was the standard costumer for much of season five, who made an attempt to redesign the Cybermen once again. Unfortunately, he was less than successful. The new exoskeleton didn't work well and would have to be paired back, 
while the bodysuit was made out of a vinyl material that creased way too easily and had to be replaced with a spray-painted wetsuit. Assigned as designer was Derek Dodd, who you might recognise as having previously been the designer of The Power of the Daleks, and in terms of music, we once again have the use of stock music. Now, there are two more notable things about this story. Firstly, much as it had become tradition by this point, while this was the season finale, it was not the last story produced as part of the show's fifth production block. Two serials this time were held back for the sixth season. And this led the show into its summer break, and rather than scheduling short Laurel and Hardy films, this is where we get the second curiosity. We have the first time that a serial was repeated, and the end of this serial was written to directly lead into the repeat of The Evil of the Daleks. With that, we move into our short summary, which is in the hands of Julie this episode. Over to you, Julie. Jamie pouts over losing Victoria and tries to sleep it off in a random ship that they've landed on. Enter a cute toddling robot who wreaks havoc and eventually the doctor gets knocked out. They make their way into the spinny ship where, you guessed it, they aren't trusted. Jamie meets the know-it-all girl and their bickering is quite fun. The doctor also meets a very competent woman and their interactions are also fun. Things start to get destroyed, so surprise, it's the Cybermen. Awkward blondes flirt, spinning cybermats abound, death counts rise, but eventually the doctor saves the day. Miss Know-It-All stows away on the TARDIS, but will she stay after she sees the Daleks? I do like Miss Know-It-All, and the robot was very cute. So let's talk about episode one. Why is the TARDIS's warning system set up to show them temptations to tell them to go away from where they are? It doesn't seem like a very accurate warning system i don't think that if i was sitting like in the you know on the atlantic coast and a hurricane was coming that the alarm should be pictures of or videos of like colorado or something or something pleasant i think it would be like hey sirens and alarms you shouldn't be here get the hell out see i felt that was a really nice little throwback to the edge of destruction where the tardis was throwing random images on the screen as a warning not necessarily to go elsewhere but that something was wrong well they were by the same writer correct Correct. So that, that makes the sense. Point I was going to make to uh to Riley's point. Oh yes, I I think the warning system could be a little more intuitive. <laughs> Just think, you get to the point where you land someplace nice, and they immediately panic and try to leave. It didn't go through UAT testing. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sit was complete, but not UAT. It also looks like the doctor would at some point realize he needs some backup mercury. Speaking of throwbacks. Yeah, yeah, typical David Whittaker there. His obsession with Mercury. There's another nice throwback there as well. We get the Fault Locator. Yes. I don't think we've had that since the Daleks. But sadly not the Fornicator. Sadly not the Fornicator. Although, if you sort of play a little game with this, there is so much unintentional dirty lines in this. Oh, <laughs> we'll get to it in episode two. There's a lot to be said when we get there even in this first five minutes where jamie says stick your rod back in i'm like oh it's gonna be one of those okay here we go. <laughs> which makes you think that maybe the the fornicator was a purposely scripted line on the part of whittaker in the hartnell era <laughs> one thing i want to talk about is once we actually start getting out of the tardis and exploring the spacecraft to me and i, I want to get everyone else's thoughts on this this felt very much like a season one or two opening episode in that it's that kind of quiet exploration type it's the doctor companion and not many other people it was a nice 
break from the base under siege, even though we get to that <laughs> here in the next episode, we at least get one episode that is different. But yes, I, I do think you're right. It did feel a little bit more like a, a season one episode. Maybe that's why I feel like this is another this serial is another example of where I really enjoyed the first episode. World of possibilities, a lot of mystery going on. And as Julie said, then we just revert back to base under siege. We knew it was going to happen. I think they might have missed a trick here to invent the flashback episode. Let's say they jump right into it with this episode, and then they immediately jump to the end of the sixth episode where Zoe's joined, and they just show her special clips from the preceding seasons to get her on board. You save the budget, you invent the clip show, it's magic. Yeah, it it would be... uh... Wonderful, but it would be even better if they did what Community did in Dan Harmon and do a <laughs> clip show where all the clips are from non-existent yeah. episodes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just trolling everyone. But yeah, I, I'm with you, Riley. I love this first episode. Very, very nice change of pace from what we've had for really the last season and a half. What I like about it is it's basically just Jamie and the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've all talked about it. We love the interactions that they have together. Um, So it was really nice to just get them one-on-one the entire time. You have Jamie pouting. You have the doctor trying to cheer him up with the lemon sherbet. And, you know, just, and then Jamie having to take care of him when he gets knocked out and all of this other stuff. So I just, I thought that was a really good kind of character piece. Again, I like those. And he really did get knocked out. Julie's hitting on exactly what makes it good because... We've had, like Anthony said, so many times the quiet exploration. It's really creepy, but the creepiness or the you know mystery takes a step back. It's it's putting the on the back kettle. It's more of just the Doctor and Jamie just kind of settling and you know getting their bearings, and it's more about them just trying to just come to some sort of peace of where they are and what happened with Victoria. So I yeah. thought that would made it interesting. There are some nice mystery elements make this a bit weird you know there's the servo robot which by the way i thought the cgi for the servo robot in the loose cannon reconstruction was actually quite good yes yes and you know what what is it doing why is it moving the spacecraft why is it sh- shutting jamie and the doctor in in the room what are the spheres that it releases out into space why does it um, look like a tea kettle to be fair there's a lot of the <laughs> why is this happening this doesn't make any sense it goes on through the rest of the serial yeah, I feel like some of those elements would be good if it was ever explained why the servo robot did all of that, but I feel like you're just left to fill in the blanks and presumably because it's working on behalf of the Cybermen. But That's the only answer that makes sense. And there's almost a horror element here when the robot starts chasing them as well. If it wasn't so cute, I think it would be. <laughs> yeah. But I will say that the creepiest thing about it is its motion, how it moves. Now, I don't know if that's due to the animation from the loose can reconstruction, or if it was intended originally that it looked like that, I don't know. Either way, the motion was quite disturbing. Luckily, all robots have a weakness to blankets, so our heroes were okay. <laughs> yes. That was a little ridiculous. Uh, not gonna lie. And I also liked the interactions that the Doctor and Jamie had with oh, are you hungry? Let's, you know, have something more substantial, like roast beef and all the trimmings. We get a food machine. It's not the TARDIS food machine, but it's still a food machine. 
And I love his inter- his reaction of, I've heard of a square meal, but this is ridiculous. Has he, though? <laughs> was that a Scottish saying? Maybe. I don't know, I'm not Scottish. It takes 20 minutes before we get any other speaking characters in the episode. Which, again, I think we've already made the point. That's a really nice change of pace from how this has been, the show's been made for a while. And when we do, it's that they're immediately presenting a threat to our heroes. Do we get to the wheel in space before or after the servo robot releases the Mintos into the outer space? It's after. It's definitely uh. after. Holy floating balls, Batman! <laughs> <laughs> I had questions about those. I have an entire page of notes regarding the Cybermen. Can we, uh, can we just from henceforth, you know, refer to them as uh, space balls? <laughs> I will say this: once we moved on to the crew of the Wheel, you immediately knew who the costume designer was for this series. Yes. <laughs> hey, using those monochromatic colors, it gives you clean lines. It works really well with black and white. And I still rather enjoyed it. It's monochromatic and it's very mod. It's very modern <laughs> for 1968. It's like immediately, like, okay, I know, I know where we're going here. You know what? What's interesting is I've, I've seen this story or the reconstruction of this story in two contexts. One of you know what? I just feel like watching the wheel in space and watching it completely out of sequence. And then as part of a marathon, as we're doing, and. Those costumes make so much more sense when you're doing this as a marathon because you see the theme from all mm-hmm. the stories and you're like, okay, this is just what they were doing at the time. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> Can we also talk about the X-ray laser? I think the X-ray laser is not interesting. I think what's interesting is how much Jarvis is interested in the X-ray laser. I've never seen a person so just enthralled and excited about it. I think what's interesting is how bad Jarvis sucks. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, that's, that's the second thing. But like, it's just cracks me up, especially at the end of the first episode, how he just is so excited about it. I swear he was about to say, hey, everybody, come on, check this shit out. We're about to blow the hell out of this thing. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Way, way back, we made fun of a certain episode, Tomb of the Cybermen, by saying that if the doctor hadn't shown up, it wouldn't have happened. I disagreed, but that was a complaint people registered against that serial. This is the serial where that's true. (laughs) If the doctor and Jamie hadn't shown up, they wouldn't have signaled and the thing would have been blown up and the story would have been over. And Jamie doesn't prevent the laser from being able to fire. Yeah. Hmm? The whole thing. The whole thing is over right then. But then they don't get Zoe. Yeah, that's true. But that's part of why the Cybermen's plan is just terrible. Oh, yeah. No, it's. The Cyberman's plans are always terrible. I think the Cyber Planner is actively working against the Cybermen. <laughs> that is the only thing that makes sense. <laughs> the Cyber Planner is just seems so just bizarre compared to everything else about the Cybermen. When it showed up, it was so jarring to me. I was like, why are the Cybermen talking to a screen clip from a David Lynch art film? Because <laughs> that's what it looked like. I'm like, is this a clip from a racer head? What is going on? I'm sure we will definitely come back to that later in our discussion. With that, let's move on to episode two. We meet the crew of the wheel. And Jamie does a smart. Jamie does do a smart. What I found interesting, though, is one of the things I noticed 
in the reconstructions, there were so many short clips. And I was like, how in the world did they have all these short clips? And then you continue on into episode three and you're like, oh, they just reused clips from episode <laughs> three and put them in episode two. Okay, great. And put them on a loop. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good job, Loose Cannon. Hey, it took me a little bit to figure it out. Jamie, that was a smart, like, how did he know to do that? Or was it just kind of blind luck? He'd been in battle before, so they would have had some sort of system of something. <laughs> no, like, if you were if you were in wartime, like, you would have certain things. Usually, like, at that time, they'd probably do, like, bird calls or things like that. So he probably figured that in order to get some sort of attention, like, he had to work with the limited resources that he had. That's fair. Jamie's a smart cookie. And based off his physical, he's in fine physical shape. Yes. yes that is he a is. quote. <laughs> officially, it's officially canon now. Talking about his physical, let's talk about some of the supporting characters on the wheel we meet. We've already talked about Jarvis or Jarvis Bennett to give his full name. We also meet Leo and Tanya. Oh, oh, you mean Tanya. You mean Blonde Ace Rimmer. Yes, Blonde Ace Rimmer. <laughs> I sat there like the first interaction, I was like, they're doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> See, initially, I thought that it was like he was giving her unwanted attention. Oh, no. And oh. then after a while, I was like, you dick. And then I realized <laughs> that she was just being coy in the workplace. And I was like, okay, fair, fair play. They're doing it. She could be doing instead her bit more accent work. Could, you know, brush up on that a little bit. Just a bit. Hey, everyone yeah. in this was doing some accent work. <laughs> it was something special. Um, and sometimes it happened like within a sentence and it's like, you started off with a very bland accent and all of a sudden you're speaking so much broke that I can't understand a word that you're saying. I believe that, that I believe that wobbling accent is known as the Costner method. (laughs) (laughs) We also meet Dr. Gemma Corwin, whose name is said so many times, if I didn't know it was going to be. Zoe, I would assume that she was being teed yeah. up to be the new companion. But she was so good. I loved her. She was. Yeah, she, she was, was fantastic. I would not have minded if she was the new companion. She's apparently too old to be a companion because that's what I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> we have to wait till season seven for that. And of course we meet Zoe. Commenting on Jamie's female garments. Like, how dare you? Like, <laughs> this, this person just, no, like, even if it wasn't Jamie, it's Someone, someone's coming on the ship and you're just going to make fun of him the entire time? Like, first, like half the people don't trust them and then everyone else is making fun of you. It's like, I guess I'll leave now. You bring up a good point about something else, actually, about them not being trusted. For once, it makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Because Jamie doesn't do them any favors as far as looking trustworthy. Well, no. and it's so ridiculous because why was it such a big deal for him to mention the TARDIS? Or just, hey, our stuff's over there. Please don't blow it up. Yeah. It, it, okay. Plus, to me, the fact that the first thing they want to do when they see this ship is blow it up seems a little weird. Unless it's aimed right for you, even if it does take off, you're gonna be fine. You know it's a lost ship, and it has valuable supplies on board. And, you know, despite the international vibe of the crew, they're not even Americans. No. With the whole blowing shit up thing. I know. This is why... That's crazy. Oh, there's there's something weird going on in Doctor Who of this era where the leaders of these particular bases are just the worst. Oh. They're all having nervous breakdowns I, for some reason. I think that yeah. that's why the future Brigadier was such a nice... 
you know, breath of fresh air, but he's actually competent and not insane. <laughs> yeah. As I said, we're doing battle with the tropes of season five here. I mean, what, what was it Jarvis said about how people need a boring routine when they're essentially oh trapped gosh. on a space station? Yes. And I was like, who needs routine? Uh, Jarvis, you need the routine. Not everyone else, just you. Oh, and we get the first introduction of him being John Smith. Yes, we do. And just to clarify, they do say that Jamie came up with it because he... Did I read it, hear it correctly when they said he read a sign? It, yes. It's, it's on a piece of equipment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, lab. so I got to say, when coming up with aliases... John Smith, do you really need to see a sign that says John Smith to come up with John Smith? It's not exactly the most inventive name. It's kind of the most, he might as well have said John Doe. I'm feeling personally attacked here. (laughs) (laughs) I I think part of it is part, like, with the sign and whatnot. But also, that is a very, like, Smith is a very common name, I think, especially for that time. So it, it fits anyway. But I don't really necessarily disagree with that because poor jamie if he tried to come up with a name he would have given him some like random scottish name and then the doctor would have to be pretending to have a scots accent for the entire time so hey he, he did a wonderful german accent mm-hmm. i would have loved to hear, hear a scottish accent the return of dr von Weir. yeah <laughs> and that would have livened up this episode the serial so much if he just had to do that the entire time a campy german accent oh god yeah Speaking of things I didn't understand in this, can we go back to the Cybermats and their bubbles? Oh, yeah. That apparently let them just go right through the hull. Magic bubbles. Why didn't the Cybermen, who apparently also came out of bubbles at the end of this episode, why didn't they just float over and go through there? Because reasons. Yeah. But also, to be fair, I actually didn't see the Cybermen coming. So since I'd never seen or heard about the serial, like I went in blind. And That's I brilliant. Was like, I was like halfway through, I was like going through episode two and I was like, doo, 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 doo. and then all of a sudden, like the bubble like starts to change and you see the Cyberman. I'm like, oh, it's a Cyberman story. I also went into it blind and then I was getting excited. I saw the reveal. And then unlike you, when it showed the hand, I was like, oh, oh, it's a Cyberman again. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think, and I can tell that, that Riley and I are going to have some different opinions here. I enjoyed this serial, but I think it would have been much better if it used a different monster. That's how I felt about uh, Web of Fear, yeah. I believe. But this is to the point where I'm I'm fairly sure Kit Peddler's story idea was, hey, once upon a time, you guys use a Cyberman again and I got a big check. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it was literally on the back of a napkin. Cyberman, mm-hmm. space station, neurotic commander. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the blank attack a blank. Yeah. In blank. Money, please. <laughs> yeah. So why were the Cybermen in those bubbles? I don't know, and they looked really small. I'm like, yeah, are and they, they like, expanded? And it, it it there was so much about the Cybermen in this episode that I was very confused by. Like, why would you do that? How would you think that would work? And also, why are you coming in bubbles? Easy. Well, I think we learned. I think my best guess I could give you 
is that the reason they arrive in bubbles is that you saw what happened in the very last episode when they tr- decide to frolic across <laughs> and skip. It looks, it is, it's very unintimidating. It's much cooler to go in bubbles. Uh, uh, yeah. The direction does leave something we desired, but the interaction yeah. between characters is good. I enjoyed that. The doctor gets yeah. a few good lines in and I'm, I'm liking Zoe so far. All right, so speaking of the Cybermen emerging from Bubbles, episode three. Is this the one where the, the Cybermat claims its first victim, or was that at the end of episode two? I think it's in this one. All I know is that guy had some really weird body language. The things he was doing yeah. with his arms, really? Plus, I'm still shocked that the other guy that originally found is like, oh, well, that's weird. Yeah. Here's a giant... A giant metal scrubbing bubble. Well, I'll just put it back here in the closet. It's fine. I believe that was Bill. I liked Bill. He had like a friendly high school biology teacher vibe about him. <laughs> like, oh, look at this little critter. All right. I'll just put him over here. Stay well, friend. In the closet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, episode three, I think the most exciting thing to me about it was that Quickset Plastic is now available in perfume bottles. I think the most exciting thing about this episode is that it exists. Yeah, yeah that was a point. nice Good change. Point. Yeah, and I, I say that with all sincerity because I watched the official BBC reconstruction oh, because, on BritBox because it's on BritBox and I'm really lazy and I didn't want to get up and watch in front of my computer. When I was taking more notes, I went and watched the one that you said we should, and you were right. The loose cannon reconstruction, <laughs> and they did a much better job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the official one was actually commissioned by Britbox and not the BBC. Uh, so um, have they heard of money? Couldn't they just give the loose cannon people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think they wanted to do it for even cheaper than loose cannon would have given it to them for. So, oh wow! Yeah, I I mean Bill Duggan, what was he doing? Messing around with a strange creature that had literally just appeared on a space station. That's moronic. You could argue it definitely has those. Uh vibes of the biologist in Prometheus. Except you gotta give Bill some credit. You know, with Bill, it's a cute little, as Don said, a scrubbing bubble. And Prometheus, it was a terrifying looking leech snake looking thing. So <laughs> this is also the one where we get a little bit more about the plan where the Cybermen have made a star explode. I so, must have missed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that the crew will have to use their laser that they've disabled. Uh, to stop the asteroids from hitting them, which also brings up, well, what if they had just blown up the ship or left it alone or moved it out of the way or never went over there to get your, I'm just going to call it brilliant because I don't care. You would have just destroyed your wheel. Also, if you mm-hmm. can explode a star, <laughs> I'm saying the plan is dumb and it bothers me a yeah. lot. <laughs> yes. Yes, because if you can blow up a star, you can blow up the Earth, and therefore you can just, you know, destroy Earth, because that's what they want to do, apparently. I mean, this plan isn't so much incompetent, it's just totally incoherent. Obviously, the cyber planner needs an update. The cyber planner is broken. <laughs> so this is probably why I missed the blowing up of the star, because I, I did catch that they were at least responsible for the meteorites, but the cyber planner is a lot harder to understand than the cyber Yes. Oh, Yes kind of sitting there like listening really hard and even then i didn't quite catch everything i appreciate you anthony for supplying us with things but also at the same time whenever i can watch it on BritBox, i usually have closed caption on mm-hmm. so uh, yeah <laughs> well we are starting to get beyond the time that we will need to refer to things not on BritBox. and there's your plug BritBox. give us our money <laughs> <laughs>
it's a shame we don't monetize. Today, Riley will be playing the part of Kit Peddler. Give us our money. <laughs> I do want to bring up Zoe a little bit. I am on the fence about Zoe. I like her as as in she's a breath of fresh air and she's different from a lot of other of the female companions that we've had. But she's towing the line of being obnoxious. Okay. She's smart. So. She's fearless. And in just a couple of serials, they will reduce her to another peril monkey. Oh. You know it, You know it's going to happen. Yeah. The only problem that I have is that it starts at too much of an extreme of the too much logic and not any heart. Mm-hmm. And they made that a little bit too extreme for me. I know that along the way she's going to get better, but then it will go too far the other direction. And it's just not going to be good anymore. So again, that's why I said she's walking a fine line. It's not that I dislike her. It's I can see where I will like her, but I can also see where she could be just obnoxious all the time. Yeah, they they tone that down massively. And I think here it's a very deliberate contrast with the Cybermen. The Cybermen have had emotions and have had them taken away as they've become Cybermen. Zoe has effectively been brainwashed and indoctrinated into this logic machine, and she's not happy with that. And she wants to be more human. That is so bizarre to me. What the hell type of parapsychology unit are they running there in the, quote, city that they brainwash people? What the hell's going on? And then who decides who gets brainwashed and why is it just her and what? Uh, it just felt like that was said so abruptly without giving any sort of reasoning or filling it out. I was just confused so much by that. I had to stop and rewind it. Is that like nasty little hint that there's some kind of like extremist, maybe dictatorship running the state that's taking kids yeah, and brainwashing them? Exactly. And it's just like dropped in there, like almost like there's, you know, a picture of, I don't know, uh, Hitler or Franco in the background. You know, imagine <laughs> know. if that had been the case and that was the only hint of the kind of society this was. I think they just take their librarians very seriously. <laughs> and Gemma was just kind of like, man, I'm so proud of you, Zoe, for like breaking out of that. And it's like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's the thing that's so disturbing about it. It's like, it's not just that the state or whatever this institution is, is doing this to people, but that everyone else seems so laissez-faire about it. Like, not only are they not either totally in favor of it or totally not in favor of it, they're just like, hey, that was a real good job there. You beating that brainwashing. Like, what type of attitude is that to something so extreme? To be fair, <laughs> I don't think anything really got under Gemma's skin. And also, while doing this part, her actress uh, had some problems with her static nerve and was on painkillers. Yeah. So that's probably what? why nothing oh. bothered her. She was on oh. extremely strong painkillers yes. through this story. That just brought it down. Okay. She got better. <laughs> <laughs> that does lead us into another absolute dialogue triumph from Troughton, where he gets to say, logic, my dear Zoe, merely allows one to be wrong with authority. Oh. Which I adore. That was so good. Oh, that was beautiful. He gets the best lines. He does. He absolutely does. And he should. Let's see. Space floor, yada, yada, yada. Cybermats killing people, yada, yada, yada. Uh <laughs> Somewhere in here, we get another room with lava lamps. Yes. yes. So there we go. Lava lamps, but no dicks still. No dicks. No. Well, I mean, is Jarvis one? He's just <laughs> crazy. I have so many places I just have 
ye gods, Jarvis sucks, like underlined in my notes. That's all. <laughs> I mean, a little list of why he's a bad leader. He doesn't listen to people. He jumps to conclusions, especially in the first episode where they just kind of assume, nope, nobody could be alive on that ship. I mean, they could have been and in- <laughs> injured, but no, let's blow it up. He ignores the obvious. He doesn't listen to his crew at all. Yeah, and Gemma's the only smart person. She's the one who's connecting all these weird goings on. And she tries to tell Jarvis and he's like, uh, no. No, this th- that can't be true. Was it episode four where he basically did his little impression of the this is fine dog? Yes. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because I loved that scene so much because to me it was the opposite scene of the horrible boss in Fury from the Deep, I believe Robson, where he has his scene where he comes in and just starts barking. And then <laughs> Jarvis has the opposite scene where also just as crazy, he comes in and just like, yeah, this is wonderful. This is great. You know what? Take a take a look around. <laughs> like, take a longer break. Once again, I will say, just like I said before, actors, if you want a monologue, <laughs> go All for right. this one as well. So do we have anything more of episode three? We do get the return of the Cybermen with mind control abilities as a cliffhanger. Couldn't they just put that into a ship and take over the whole wheel? Yeah. Stop trying to make it make sense. I'm just t- trying to help them out here because they're they're really bad at their jobs <laughs> and they know it yeah. too they've got those little teardrop things crying <laughs> why are we doing they're this? either they're either emo or i think they might have killed a guy in prison i'm not sure quite what that means <laughs> but they need to lay off the little thing on the lip that just looks dumb it's like you're drooling yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean the, the the teardrop thing becomes kind of iconic with them here on in but otherwise i agree this is not their most successful redesign at all What I will say when we get to episode four. Let's go there now. One of the things I noticed is that I think the animation in this reconstruction is so much better than it has been in the past. I think that the Cybermen actually look pretty good in the animation. They they look good, but their movement in the CGI is just is still. and, And maybe I'm being overly critical over something that's made not for profit but the movements I found was really unnatural and kind of jarring. I did find the scene where they got in the crate really unintentionally funny <laughs> with that overhead shot and they looked like action figures being packed in again for a reconstruction it's the best animation that i've seen i think that's a fair statement i'll, like, I'll go with you on that let's yeah. let's compare yeah. it to the yeti yeah okay I'll, I'll give you that for sure all right thank you one thing that cracks me up is you have bennett going oh nothing gets into this wheel immediately as the cybermen are getting into the banalium crate and being brought into the wheel good job jarvis it's authorized they're like hey can we bring this on board sure you can of course congrats you've just authorized it conveniently dumbasses (laughs) oh this is the part i love even the doctor starts questioning jarvis and says he's a rather strange man for the position Mm-hmm. I mean, at last someone is calling out one of these commanders, but Jesus Christ, it's taken all season. I was expecting the doctor to do the uh, John McClane. How can the same thing happen to the same guy twice? Or in nearly every serial. <laughs> yeah, or, or five times now. <sighs> Morale has never been better. Good job, Jarvis. Everything's fine. It's fine here. I think I mentioned it maybe in a previous episode. If you remember back to the invasion of Iraq in 2003, 2004, there was the Iraqi minister of propaganda Mm -hmm. who would go on TV. (laughs) The Americans will never come here. American tanks literally rolling behind him. (laughs) It's, It's that kind of mentality. Everything's fine. Morale has never been better as everyone's panicking around him. Brilliant. That's where I got the idea for putting him with the Melchick quote. If nothing else works... 
a total pig-headed unwillingness to look facts in the face will see us through. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally true. As we meet some of the other crew members, I do want to call a little bit of attention to Chang, who we meet very briefly before he is killed by the Cybermen. And while his 30 seconds of screen time probably don't matter, he was played by a gentleman called Peter Laird, who is almost certainly not Chinese. So we are <laughs> once again picking British actors and turning them into other races, which is definitely not cool in 2020, but was quite acceptable in the 1960s. Can we go back to the batshit insanity of the Cybermen's plan? Oh, yeah. Sure. I sure. got tons on that. Yeah. We want. So having <laughs> flung meteorites at the wheel, they now have to protect the wheel against the meteorites that they flung at it. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming Christ. that the, whatever they needed to power the laser, that the people would be smart enough to realize it's on the ship that they may have already blown up or just let drift away. <laughs> rather than... Just using mind control or bubbling over, just invading. It really is convenient that in such an over-convoluted plan where there was so much that could go wrong, the Doctor and Jamie showed up to inspire the chain of events that made it go right. <laughs> and then my other question is, why even focus on this wheel anyway? Why is this the thing? Why is this your like launch point to destroy the Earth? Signal that it needs to broadcast yeah. to get ships that's, that's through. That's Something like that. Wouldn't you just fake the signal or just invade and take the part? Yeah, I have lots of questions. I don't think the cyber the cyber planner, I, I think he was working against them. <laughs> Either that or he was glitched. I, I like to think he's just being a dick to his fellow cybermen because they put him in this weird, you know, little statue looking thing and he can't move. <laughs> like, all right, fine. Speaking of the laser, this is where I took the notes of the accents getting worse in the one scene. Because it was the guys who were working on the laser, and it just went downhill. And I was like, okay, at the beginning of the sentence, I can understand you. And what what was that? What'd you say? Every time we talk about laser, I'm I'm hearing it in, in quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> the laser. Laser. <laughs> As international crews go, this is probably not the best one we've had so far. Accents included. Yeah. They weren't written that way. This was our esteemed director's idea. Hiring British people and then going, um, so can you can you kind of do some accents, maybe? You, you can be Chinese, right? <laughs> was it the cost of the accents why it went over budget? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, cost to pay off the people who were insulted because of the accents? <laughs> Just a little bit. To wrap up on episode four, episode four has my second favorite quote of the entire episode, which is just so wonderful by itself. All spacemen are protected from brain control by drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Julie, what have you got? You had something else as well. Mine is the doctor wanted coffee and Polly isn't there. We also get, as we move into episode five, the worst cliffhanger of the serial of a Cyberman walking down the stairs. <laughs> he, he could have caught him. But do make note that the Doctor and Jamie were going hunting. All right, episode five. I think the most memorable would be how hard Flanagan fought that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was meant to be Irish with a name like Flanagan. So, you know, Irish and fights, it's, it's kind of a stereotype. Anthony can be reached at Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, don't fall prey to what happened in the serial. 
Send your complaints to welshteeth at gmail.com. <laughs> hey, those words came from between my own Welsh teeth. Um... It's okay, I've got Welsh no, I... teeth as friends. <laughs> I, in, in this case, I am very deliberately calling out what I think is a bad taste stereotype. Yeah. Right, right. I felt the same way. I was like, why are we focusing on how well this guy is fighting back? Like, what? Oh, oh. oh. Yeah, yeah. And I guess we need to discuss Gamma again. That was kind of horrible and abrupt. It was. That was sad. I liked yeah. her a lot. But she died a hero. Yeah, this is another instance where someone died, at least, if, if a strong female character is going to die, at least she died strong. Mm -hmm. Like Faraya and the enemy of the world. Another question, and sorry, I'm going to keep going back to this, and Don, the, your notes might help with this. <laughs> so the Cybermen refer to initiating phase six of their plan. What the hell were the first five phases? Um... <laughs> Take take over the rocket and just send it millions of miles off course to the wheel, assuming that they won't just blow it up or go into it and set the autopilot to set it somewhere else. Send Cybermats to eat the power source of the laser. Assume that the people on board will think, hey, there's probably some of the stuff we need over on the silver carrier and send the crew over to get it explode a star to send asteroids over there so that they'll <laughs> need the stuff to send them over in the first place so that they can blow those up uh, uh i'm not quite yeah. sure what there's 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 a lot of steps and send cyberman over take over people's minds profit yeah that's it <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Uh, what a mess. I, and part of the problem is I can't quite figure out whether to blame Kit Peddler or David Whittaker for this. Yes. Yes. But David Whittaker's normally so much better. I mean, Peddler's kind of a hack anyway. Yeah, because I usually do like David Whittaker. Yeah, so what went wrong? And this isn't his last appearance on the show, and his last appearance won't be nearly as dumb as this. There's at least that consolation. Let's just blame the director. That That's seems to make pretty good. Sense. That's a pretty good reason yeah. to blame him. There's no, there's no atmosphere that could have been created here. Yeah. Plus the whole bubble thing. That's the question. Yes. Uh, mm. Wait, maybe part five or six of the plan was to turn the oxygen into ozone to kill everybody. Oh, I almost forgot because they that. were gonna. Yeah. The oh, whole, right. That's why Kimma. Uh -huh. Yeah. It was originally supposed to be open up the airlocks. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, and then they and locked then them down. Since and yeah, since they locked that down, then it was, okay, we have to switch our plan to the Ozone. Our, our cunning plan. Okay. Jesus. But in this episode, we also get Ace Rimmer yelling at the doctor a lot. Kind of fun. Yes, we do. And then in the very end, we have Jamie and Zoe coming back from, are they coming back or are they heading to the wheel? They're uh, going. To the silver they're, carrier. They're um, going. Did they? I thought. Well, no, they're going to the carrier. Yeah, they're going, they're going over to the, the silver carrier, carrier at the ending yeah. of, of episode. We have meteorites heading their way. Yes. And that leads us into episode six, because we, there's no reason for us to dwell on episode five. No, there isn't. <laughs> Sorry, Gemma. So as we move back into live action, there is one thing I want to call out. In the control room, there's a character called Kasali, who is one of the people at one of the control stations. He's got longer-ish dark hair, and that is a very young Donald Sumter, who most people would recognize probably from Game of Thrones mm -hmm. and um, and possibly Chernobyl and, of course, Doctor Who when he'll return in Series 9 alongside Peter Capaldi. Was he ever on something we would recognize like Zed Cars? 
<laughs> Funny you should mention that. Oh, no. <laughs> he was in Zed Cars and both of its spin-offs. So I finally actually read up what Zed Cars was, because I actually <laughs> have gone to me. Please tell me. It's like a cop show, wasn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, it's a cop show. Oh. Uh, yeah. Uh. It's a cop show that warranted two spin-offs. It had 800 episodes. It what? was the law and order of the 60s. Its spin-offs were called Softly Softly and Softly Softly Task Force. But Brian Blessett was in it. So What? Yes. So I might have to go back and watch some of Zed Cars. <laughs> Sadly with Zed Cars, most of the episodes prior to I think the mid 70s are missing. So I think of the 800 episodes it has, something like 650 of them are gone. Are there any loose cannon reconstructions? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, like, I smell a money-making oh. opportunity. Let's reconstruct them ourselves. Someone get Derek Handley on the phone. Be a big Zed car revival. So I do have a question about this episode. Yep. Well, I guess it's now a comment, not necessarily a question, but Jamie is wearing his kilt underneath the spacesuit again. It's, it's a talent. <laughs> I want to question the doctor in this episode. Normally, he's tried to figure out how to save the many while also looking after those closest to him but when he thinks that jamie and zoe might be dead because of being caught up in the crossfire between the wheel and the meteorites he's like i guess the needs of the many cool it, it just seemed very very unusually cold to me in that he didn't even seem remotely upset that jamie who by this time probably the longest running companion we've had on the show so far is potentially dead he knew he'd be fine plus he was recovering from a concussion yeah <laughs> I think that he was trying to hide the fact that he was concerned. I could buy that. I will go with either one. I'll go with like, he's just concussed the entire time and doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> or he's just hiding it. Fair. The concussed episode. Yep. We also have Jarvis in his final moment as being completely erratic by deciding to go out because the Cybermen have killed Gemma. Yeah. Was there supposed to be something there between the two characters? No, I, think, I don't even I think, think Jarvis I, I, is just unstable. Okay. Very yeah. unstable. <laughs> Another thing that I thought was a curious directoral choice with the Cybermen, we're going to keep coming back, aren't we? <laughs> they wobble when they speak. They wobble back and forth. And that's obviously a directorial choice. But I thought that was a very strange one as well. I get the feeling these were not the best Cybermen available yeah. that might explain everything that happens in an entire serial this is a branch that like glitched out and has like these stupid plans they try to pull off that always fail <laughs> i mean that's it <sighs> did yeah. anyone else notice and it wasn't just in this episode but throughout when they're going to different security levels in the wheel it's kind of nonsense like one of them was easy yellow no, I Did didn't. No notice one else that. noticed no. that because that popped. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Condition easy yellow. <laughs> but speaking of things I heard and had to validate, this has the best Billy flub, even though he's not in it, that I have ever heard. Is it? The it's the sexual air supply. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everyone loves the sexual. Oh, air supply. that was where I re. What? <laughs> Rewound. I'm like, that was clear as day. That's awesome. The only sexual air supply I know sings Even the Nights Are Better. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, speaking of which, when we finally see the Cybermen spaceship, did anyone else think it looked kind of phallic? Oh, Told definitely. you, there's a lot of that in this serial. A lot of, yeah. lot of frustration at this point of the season. <laughs> I, I, all building up to I this. I do love when the Cybermen finally face the Doctor 
and he's in there in the lab. And of course, they're telling him that they understand their local ways and the doctor must be destroyed. He says, well, I guess you better come in. And that's when he sense, you know, sets that thing off and zaps it. And the other Cyberman, oh. for all the world, his body language says, I'm going to tell my dad as he backs out of the room. <laughs> I was so glad to see that because with some of the other stuff that was happening on in the serial, I was like, the doctor needs to step it up. He's not on his A game. And I was like, okay, here we go. And that was a wonderful scene as well, because that Cyberman that hits the floor on his way down does his best dance moves of the robot. <laughs> that was just awesome. Speaking of Cybermen moving in stupid ways, this is where we do get that spacewalk. And yeah, mm, perfection, perfection. <laughs> I want I want a gif of it. It is just so absolutely bizarre. So the, the question I want to ask here is how do they do that? Because that's not how physics work. Be- because <laughs> reasons? Questions. Why? Don't ask these questions. You can't just walk across space doesn't work like that it really the only thing that was missing like when i watched that scene and just my entire just body turned into a smile watching it was i just kept hearing the tiny tim song (laughs) tiptoe through the tulips (laughs) as i saw them walk through oh my goodness Uh, and then uh, the one that does make it onto the wheel is quickly dispatched with Chekhov's plastic spray. I gotta get some of that stuff. That looks awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good. Tell Chekhov I say hi. Yeah. Alright, so that happens. They get the laser up and running. And the Cybermen are just kind of pushed and flushed into space. Yes. It all seemed very anticlimactic. Uh-huh. Yep. It was. <laughs> You're not wrong. Everything went kaboomy, the ones died, and yeah. everyone... And then you have Tanya and Leo, um, they made it even more obvious. It's like, oh, they touched yeah. hands. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Like, so the, the speed with which the Cybermen were repelled kind of reminded me of Salamander very quickly being sucked into space at the end of the enemy of the world. It's like, guys, you can get away with this once, but twice a few serials apart, no, you're pushing it. Well, that just feels like this entire serial's problem is that it just is rehashing everything they've done in this season. See, I think this comes off better if it's viewed in isolation yeah. but coming off of an entire season of this type of story it's like oh oh come on and there's a reason for that i mean at this point you know you had the avengers that was being sold to america and was being made for a format that could be syndicated so the idea was have something that's relatively repetitive in plot and it's easier to sell yeah particularly for syndication and that's what they were trying to do here and it it just doesn't work but we'll probably talk more about that next time in our retrospective we get our new companion stowing away but getting discovered the doctor tries to warn her and we move into our first ever repeat which dear listener we will not be doing a second episode reviewing that story (laughs) so if you want to hear what we said go back and listen to i think it was episode 42 on that one what's interesting to note is one i think is this the major end of season cliffhanger that we've had I wouldn't call it a cliffhanger, but yes. yeah. But it's the end of season five. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. the will she, won't she join the TARDIS. Yeah, of course she does. But I think it's like the first time that it's been kind of like a big unopened question. And I personally think that Zoe and Jamie have more chemistry than Jamie and Victoria had. Oh, 100%. I do think that every new companion should be forced to sit down and watch old episodes of Doctor Who before they're allowed to join the crew. I love the idea of the clip show, particularly the clip show of things that we've never seen happen. That's good. And I also like the fact that the clip that they show is actually from a last episode. Yes. Yes, it is. 
Well, with that, I think we should probably wrap up our actual story discussion. I don't have any nominations for the camp count, which leads us directly into our scores. And for the first time in a while, I have the privilege of being first here. And I wanted to enjoy this story. I really did. It had some elements that should have made it good. You know, Cyberman, David Whittaker, that wonderful first episode that very rapidly descends into this absolutely nonsense or somewhat unlikely plot that the Cybermen have. For creatures of logic, they're just not very logical here. And at no point was I actually bored with this one, but at no point was I really enjoying it either. And for me, it's just kind of there. So this one will get five servo robots out of 10. Don, you are up next. I think I may have enjoyed this story a bit more than the rest of you, and that's okay, because it does have a lot of problems. It's sort of almost like the inverse of how I felt about our previous serial. The plot makes no sense direction is pretty flat but at the same time i had fun with it i almost enjoyed writing down all the problems with the the cyberman's plan i thought this would be better if it was a different type of monster i also really enjoyed the interaction between the characters zoe's got some sass went back and forth with jamie i like Gemma as a character a lot so despite that i am giving it six emotional based fantasies out of ten Ooh. And so, Don, before we move on to Julia, I have to ask, would you say that at times you were perhaps hate-watching this and enjoying that? I wouldn't say I was hate-watching it because I was entertained, but at the same okay. time, there was no point where I'm going, oh, wow, this is great. It's like, this is there. I can see what they were trying to do, but it, it's not a classic. It's it's a decent, you know, it's not terrible, but it's not great either. Makes sense. Okay, Julie, over to you. I'm probably in a pretty similar boat. The first episode was really good i really enjoyed it and then we get into the issues and it's predominantly directional choice and some of the writing with those empty plots but what saves it is the character moments so i will also give it six spinny cybermats out of ten <laughs> i dig it and then finally last but not least mr shrek all right this serial uh, as we said is just a rehashing of things that the show has done too often this season Horrible boss, check. Base under siege plot, check. Return of an enemy that already showed up earlier in the season, check. Thank God Zoe was in this because I was worried that when I would finally go senile in my old age, I was going to meld this serial with the Web of Fear, the Ice Warriors, and Fury from the Deep into one mess of a story where everyone is in a base and they get attacked by an army of horrible bosses. Uh, I'd watch that. And I realized that I may be too hard on this because I looked it up and I realized that, you know, reusing the Cybermen to us feels so quick, but to the audience, it's been half a year since they last saw them. So, okay, I can give it a little bit of leeway for that. But it's, even though the serial feels like it needs something else to make it stand out, I would say that Zoe is it, but I wish they would give her more to do or more to stand out, you know, in this, or give her more scenes, something. But good bits, as we said, character moments. I think the sets look good, and the little robot at the beginning was adorable, but that's really all I got for this. So I'm going to give it four frolicking Cybermen through the space door. Okay, and that gives us a story average of 5.25, which means it is better than the Ice Warriors, worse than the Abominable Snowmen. Now, would you say, would you take that Big Meg episode and call it Fury from the Web of the Cybermen? <laughs> <laughs> yes because if not that's our title drop right there i was thinking an <laughs> army of horrible bosses 
<laughs> I liked That's that as a title too. drop. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of the episode. We will, of course, be back next time with our now customary season retrospective, uh, where we will do our usual rewards style as well as a roundup on our various scoring and, and metrics. But in the meantime, thank you as always for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippak, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Fury from the Web of the Cybermen, was recorded on Wednesday the 9th of December 2020. In the meantime, our previous episodes are all available on your favorite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watchers4D. And you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All three of those things really do help the show. And always remember, you can only do a greatest hits of previous plot elements if the underlying story is actually good.